Father, we love you so much this morning. We glorify you in this place, Lord. Oh, we lift up the name of Jesus here. Father, we're so grateful. We're so grateful to be in the house of God. We're so grateful to be your children. We're so grateful, Lord, for every promise that you have for us, for your word. Thank you, Lord, that we can come and gather together here as saints to worship you. Father, to learn of you, to be more like you. We thank you so much for all the blessings that you've given us and every good thing that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. It's good to be in the house of God, isn't it? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just love Jesus. Praise the Lord. Well, welcome, welcome to Family Church. Uh, my name's Pastor Scott. I am the associate pastor here at the Fredonia Church. You know, most of us are family here this morning, but those on live stream, uh, thank you for tuning in today. And I want to encourage you and anyone else here, um, you know, on behalf of our pastors, we welcome you here. But uh, come back next week, listen next week. Pastor Michael, our senior pastor, will be back here in the pulpit next Sunday, and you don't want to miss it. It'll be a message from heaven, and we'll be blessed by it. Praise the Lord. Uh, but uh, today, the, Pastor Michael is ministering in our South Dayton Family Church. We know that this is one of 10 locations that meets around this region, and so uh, he and Pastor Nancy are out there taking the gospel to those blessed people. Praise the Lord. I told them last week, I was there last week, and I said, you know, I'm, I almost might come here next Sunday, because I want to be where they are, where Pastor Michael is. But uh, how many know we've got the Bible this morning, we've got the Word of God? So we're going to receive from heaven this morning. Amen. Uh, we'll go ahead and dismiss our children's church kids. You guys can head downstairs. Have a great time. And as they're heading out, turn with me, if you would, to Esther chapter 4. Esther chapter 4. Praise God. Isn't it so good to have a church? Have a church family. Be in the local church together. You know, I'm so grateful that... Uh, well, one, I'm not wandering around lost and dazed and confused like the Bible says we would be without the local church, but, but also it just gives us uh, such a, a, a positive mark that we can look forward to every week to come and be strengthened, be refreshed, be helped. And of course, we know that we can seek out the word and we're taught how to, how to live off the word on our own, but to be able to come here and be edified together, there's something about the corporate atmosphere and it's, it's just so good to call each other family here. Amen. Praise God. Why don't we pray as we get into the word this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you that it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Father, as we open it this morning, we rejoice over it as one that has struck it rich this morning, Father. We're so grateful to be able to come and, and freely worship you, freely hear from the gospel. And Father, as I minister this morning, I thank you that whatever you want said is said. Whatever you want done is done. As I open my mouth, I thank you that you'll fill it with words from heaven, Father, to help us and bless us today. We thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, I knew I was going to be ministering this morning for a while, and when my wife and I went out to uh, the ladies' meetings at Pastor Nancy Dufresne's church in California, some things kind of dropped in my heart to minister for this morning, and I've been stirring on those things for a little while, and then last Sunday when I was in South Dayton, uh, I guess the Lord just likes me enough to give me a rough draft, but uh, the message, I had a totally different one prepared, and then while I was in worship, some verses came to me, and uh, we just ran with that last Sunday, and it seemed good to me to, to take that a little bit further today to go in that direction this morning. And so uh, this morning, I also ask you to believe with me because we're going to step out in faith today. You know that I'm a little bit more teachery when it comes to how I like to present my notes to you this morning. And as if I can show you this here, that is all I have today. So we're just going to trust God that what he says, what he wants said, gets said this morning. And we'll get everything heaven has for us. Amen? I don't want you to think I was lax in my preparation. I wasn't sitting down and watching just all the Bill's pregame news this morning or anything. But every time I'd go to do notes, it just seemed like no. No, no. And so the Lord wants us to go on a little faith walk this morning. But how many know when we step out in faith, he's always faithful to meet us. Amen? Praise the Lord. So in Esther chapter 4, we're going to pick up in verse 13. And before we read, just a little context here. 
uh, Mordecai, who is Esther's cousin, and also he raised her. You know, Esther is now the queen, uh, of course, married to the king, but she's a Jew. And uh, Haman, who is the king's evil advisor, has issued a decree that all of this uh, secret race, and he hasn't told the king who this race is, but that this group of people who are traumatizing uh, their kingdom be wiped out, that they all be killed, essentially. And of course, that's the Jews, that's all the, the Israelites. And Esther happens to be one of those. And so God's given her great favor. And, you know, we're not going to read through the whole book, but you see how she, her whole life was destined for this point to be the queen of Eden, the queen of the nation at that point so that she would be able to go before the king and plead on behalf of the Jews and say, no, these are God's people. You don't want to destroy them. It will not be good for this nation if you do that. And uh, so we're going to pick up there. So Mordecai has just told Esther, you need to go to the king and you need to tell him, listen, if you do this, it will not be good for us. But the problem is that Esther, and if you know this story, just bear with me, but there may be newer folks that don't. Uh, Esther could not just go before the king, even though she was the queen. You had to be invited into the king's presence. And if you entered without invitation, you could be killed. And most people were killed all the time. Even the queen could be killed. So husbands, this is not a verse you want to take into your marriage, right? <laughs> if you approach me without permission, <laughs> that's not a model for the modern day successful marriage. But back then, that was the custom that they had. And so, of course, you know, the king wasn't a Jew, but uh, Esther was. And so uh, she had this big decision to make. Do I go in and do I plead on behalf of my people? Do I plead on behalf of them and risk my life to do it? And uh, so she's kind of toying with this. She doesn't want to. She's afraid. And in verse 13, it says this. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape the king's house more than all the Jews. For if you altogether hold your peace at this time, then, there en then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house shall be destroyed. For who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? This verse came to my heart last night after the rest of everything was already there. And I just, there's some things about this section of scripture that really stand out to us. You know, we've all heard that phrase before, for such a time as this, right? Well, how many you know we are here on the earth for such a time as this? Your birth was not an accident, you know. Your, your being here, your being born again, your being planted in the church where God has told you to be planted was not happenstance. It didn't happen by accident. There was a purpose for it. For all of us, for this, this group of believers here this morning, God had a plan that in the end days, we would be gathered together in his name here worshiping him. From the beginning of the earth, for such a time as this, Sobering, isn't it? You know, because the enemy will make you think that you don't matter, that it's not really important. You know, oh, you can miss church today. You're not valuable there. You're not serving this morning. No, we all play a part. We all have a role in the local church, but also in the body of Christ. And we, we know this. We find out about that role through the messages that are delivered to us every Sunday from our visitations. Praise the Lord. But in verse 14 here, where he says to her, if you hold your peace, basically, if you're quiet, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. He's saying that, listen, God will take care of what God needs to take care of. Whether it's you or somebody else, God will make sure that it gets done. And that sobered Esther up because she thought, well, I don't want to die. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was a risk to walk before the king, but it was a sure thing that death awaited her if she said nothing. And so she was focused so much on the fact, do I step in here? You know, I might die. And Mordecai sobered her up and said, listen, if you don't, you're still going to die. And God will still take care of his people through somebody else. And we've seen that throughout the history of the, of the Bible, throughout the history of the church, you know, over and over again, where there's what that word, a remnant, where there's a remnant of God's people. He will always raise up. He will always move in that remnant. But we also see that every time there's a remnant of God's people, there are those that don't get to participate in what God wants to do. Esther could have been that if she, haven't, if she hadn't realized that she was born for such a time as that. And I believe this morning, what I want to talk about today, what I want to look at in the Word, is that uh, we have, of course, a visitation in our midst that God is moving in the family churches. God is moving in what, not just family church Fredonia, not just the 10 family churches, 
God is moving in the body of Christ. Amen. I'm so thankful we don't serve a dead God. We're not a part of a dead religion. That we're a part of a God that's living, alive, powerful. Praise the Lord. And in that, though, we can miss some things if we're not mindful of what he's saying and doing for us. Just like Esther could have missed it. Amen. But if we recognize that we're born for such a time as this and some of the things we'll look at this morning, I believe we won't miss it. Because I believe this, our church and our movement, the family churches, are being established for the end times. And if we don't position ourselves properly, we will miss it. God wants to do some things. And I don't know about you, but I do not want to sit on the sidelines and watch it happen. I want to be a part of it. I want to have my, you know, you can go to a Bills game. I love going to Bills games, right? You can go to a Bills games. You can pay a lot of money to sit in the seat and watch. But how many know the experience for the players is a completely different one, right? For us, sure, we can sit down, stand, shout, whatever you want to do. But for them out there, they get hands-on. They get, they get the nitty-gritty. They get to work with the coach, too, right? They get all these conversations that the fans kind of long for and the situations that they get to be in. And they, well, of course, they get taken care of pretty well, too, don't they? By being down there on the field. In the end time move of God, I don't want to be sitting in the grandstands. You know who's sitting in the grandstands for the end time move of God are the saints that have gone before us, right? They're up there in heaven and thank God the Bible says that we're encompassed by a great cloud of witnesses that are watching everything come to pass. But God's called us to live in this, to be here, to be a part of it. And I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. Esther could have missed it. Thank God that she didn't. You know, you see, she walked in and praise the Lord, she had favor and God made everything right. Book of Esther is a great book. I encourage you to read it sometimes just to encourage your faith about why you're here and your purpose in life. But she was born for such a time as this. And I believe all of us are here for such a time as this. Amen. So we're not going to miss it. We're going to be a part of it. Turn with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. You know, we're so blessed in the day and age that we live in where we can go back through and we can study church history, especially the last hundred years. Um, you know, the last hundred years, the, the 20th century, you could say, really was more dynamic than the previous 1900 years of Christianity. Greater things happened. Of course, we know that uh, you know, the Holy Ghost came back in through the Azusa Street Revival. Not that he ever left, but people forgot about him. And so uh, there was a remnant. I'm sure that there were people throughout that time that still knew about the Holy Ghost and being filled with the Spirit. But that got forgotten for a long time. And you saw what happened when that happened. The body of Christ lost its power. Right? For 1,900 years, the church was essentially powerless until God moved and then when the Holy Ghost came back in through the Azusa Street Revival and through the revelation of great ministers, and you know we could go into church history, there's so much there, but when that happened, there was power birthed back into the body of Christ. And you read about the last hundred years, you read about the miracles that happened, you read about the great faith testimonies. You know, we hear about the Smith Wigglesworths, and we hear about the Lester Sumrall's, and we hear about the Brother Hagans. I never met Brother Hagan. For me, he's a story on a page, right? I know that what happened is truth, but I want to experience those things. I don't want to read about the last day revival happening somewhere that I'm not a part of, like I'm reading about these things that happened 50 years ago, 60 years ago. We ought to be a part of these things. Amen? That's what we're being prepared for. When we come here, you know, God didn't plant you in a church that believes these things so that when he drops and moves in the end days, we can watch it from the sidelines. Right? I'm so thankful that he planted me somewhere where when it starts happening, I can say, that's God. I know that that's God. And get hooked up with it and be a part of it. Amen? Mark chapter 6, picking up in verse 1, says this, And he, Jesus, went out from there and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? What wisdom is this which is given to him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. 
We're going to look at a few things in this section of scripture here, but just look at verse six with me for a second. He marveled because of their what? Unbelief. What's unbelief? It's a lack of faith, right? Bible says that we're to live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Without faith, Hebrews says, it's impossible to please God. How many know we want to be pleasing to God, don't we? I don't want to just be loved by him. Thank God that I am, but I want to please him. I want to make him proud. I want to make him look down and say, good job, son. Well, we do that through faith. So if we see here that this group of people, we could say that they missed their visitation, right? Jesus was in their midst. Jesus, the son of God, was there to perform miracles. Jesus, the son of God, was there to heal people. He was there to set people free. He was there so that lives could be changed. He was there for the outpouring that we're believing for. That's why he was there, but they didn't participate in it. Why didn't they? Because they missed their visitation. You know, Jesus wants to show up in our midst today. He wants to move in the, in, in the body of Christ today. But if we don't recognize our visitation, we're going to miss out on it just like they did. Amen? Starting in verse 1 there. He went out from there, came into his own country. So we know that he's home. He's in Nazareth where he was born and raised. But look at this phrase, his disciples follow him. That phrase has always stood out to me in that verse because there's a characteristic of a disciple. You know, there's those that are just observers and disciples. What's a disciple? It's someone that's committed to the message that's being preached. Someone that has uh, said, you know, I identify with this, I believe this. For instance, you know, in, in local modern day terms, we could say it's the difference between renting and owning, right? You can rent a home. You can rent it, you can fork money out every month, and you can pay that money, pay that money, pay that money, but it's not actually going towards anything. You're not accumulating any wealth by it, you're not building any equity by it. But when you own something, everything that you invest in that could be the same exact amount of money, but when you take ownership of that, now that begins to accumulate. That begins to build wealth for you, that begins to, it pays off in the long run, right? There's a lot of Christians out there today that are just kind of renting their seats in the church. They're just kind of renting what, what God is doing. They're sitting there and observing. They're maybe putting the money out every week like they're supposed to be. They're raising their hands during worship like they're supposed to be. But there's nothing building up there. There's no equity being built in them spiritually. Why? They're just observers, right? But what does it say here? His disciples follow him. A disciple is someone that has signed the deed that says, where, you know, in local church terms, I belong here. This is my local church. This is where God has planted me. This is where I've come to receive. This is where I come to get my mail every week. What's my mail? My messages from heaven that God has for me. And we all know that, that when a pastor is anointed to preach the gospel, they'll say things, and it might have nothing to do with the message, but it'll land in our heart. So that was just for me. Well, that, where do we get that? We get that when we recognize our visitation. Amen. His disciples follow him. A characteristic of a disciple is someone who follows. Now, of course, we know our visitation, Pastor Michael, we couldn't all follow him this morning, right? We can't shut down church and everybody go to South Dayton because God has a plan and a purpose for this congregation here as well. But as a whole, his disciples followed him. They were more, they showed honor to him. And what happened? They received from him because of that. His disciples received some of the greatest blessings that you could get on earth and if you'll study out the rest of the Bible, in heaven, for all eternity, because they followed him. You know, the things that we do here on this earth, we know that, you know, we don't get saved by works, but once we're saved, works matter. What we do for him, amen. The decisions that we make here, the way that we serve him here, the way that we uh, value or disvalue the local church here, it does have eternal ramifications for us. And I don't know about you, but I want to make sure that those are good ramifications, amen. Verse 2. When the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. Many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? What wisdom is this which is given to him? That even such mighty works are wrought by his hands. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. So we see that they, they recognize that he, Jesus was doing and saying some pretty amazing things, right? Well, how many know, going back to that renting and owning, I'm a little echoey. I don't know if you can bring it down a little bit. Uh, going back to that renting and owning, when you're renting somewhere, you can recognize the same things in the house that you recognize when, the, when you're owning it. But that doesn't give you license to change those things. 
right? If you rent somewhere and you don't like the color of the wall, you have to ask somebody permission to change that color. If you own it, you can just change the color because you like it. Some of us like to change the color a whole lot more than other people. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I made sure I was not a good painter. I didn't develop that skill. And that way, I, oh, I'm sorry, you don't like that color? Well, I'll buy the paint for you. But <laughs> it's not a skill that I have. But here we see that these folks had, had recognized that in their midst, something was different about him. Something was different about the message that he carried. Now, it wasn't the same Jesus that they recognized growing up. Why? He had walked into the anointing that God had for him. But they weren't willing to walk with him into that flow. And, you know, in what God is doing in these last days, our leaders, not just Pastor Michael and Pastor Nancy, but leaders all over the body of Christ are going to be walking into some things. And we have to be willing to walk into those things with them. Otherwise, for such a time as this, we're going to miss out. Amen. We don't want to miss out. We don't want to miss out. That word offended, I did write this down in my notes, that word offended at the end of verse 3. It says to offend is to cause a person to begin to distrust and desert one whom he ought to trust. To distrust and desert one whom he ought to trust. Man, if people did this to Jesus, how much more can we by chance do it to our leaders today? It's so easy. They did it to Jesus because they only looked at the natural side of what the man was. But he was so much more than a natural man. Our leaders, those in the body of Christ that God has called and placed for such a time as this, there's so much more than just naturalness there. There's a spiritual thing that we ought to have a hunger and a desire for. Because if we don't, we'll miss out. Just like they missed out. Because it says in verse 4, Jesus said, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, among his own kin, and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. It says he could. Jesus, this will upset some religious theology out there, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, couldn't do something. Couldn't do something. Remember that story, Brother Hagen, when the demon appeared before him? And there was the smoke screen there, and the, the demon is on the other, you know, standing in front of, between Brother Hagen and Jesus. He's having a vision of Jesus. And the demon is there waving his hands, blowing out a smoke screen, and saying, yakety yak yak, yakety yak yak. If you know what I'm talking about, it's in the book, I Believe in Visions. We have it out there. But in this, you know, Jesus said to him, finally, Brother Hagen was so tired of the fact that he couldn't hear Jesus that he rebuked the demon, and it left. Then he looked at Jesus and said, why didn't you do anything about that? And Jesus said, if you hadn't done anything about it, I couldn't have done anything. And Brother Hagen says, you know the story. No, 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 Jesus, I must have heard you wrong. You didn't say I couldn't, you said I wouldn't. And Jesus said, no, I said I couldn't. And Brother Hagen, they go back and forth a few times. You know, we look at that and we think, why didn't he get it the first time? How many of us get it the first time? <laughs> Sometimes it takes me a whole lot more than the three times it took him, right? But finally, he understood if he hadn't taken the authority in that moment that Jesus had delegated to him on the earth, Jesus could not because he gave that authority up. He gave that to Brother Hagen. Well, the same thing in this section here. He could there do no mighty work. What was limiting his ability to do the mighty work? Lack of reverence, lack of honor for their visitation. Here Jesus was in their midst and he couldn't do any mighty work. The hands of God were bound by a, lack of what, by a lack of reverencing what God wanted to do in their midst. It's sobering. It's sobering. How does that apply to us today? Well, I know I've been in places where God wanted to do something. God, there, there came in the sick, the dying, the hurting came in. And because people didn't have recognition for how God wanted to move in that place, that person left sick and hurting. That's not God's will. But it happens today if it happened to Jesus, how much more could it happen today, right? But how do we make sure that that doesn't happen? We don't allow what this says here, offense. We don't allow distrust or deserting the one whom we ought to trust. We don't allow a lack of recognition for our visitation to creep in. Amen. Praise the Lord. It also says this in verse 5, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. I love this in here. This verse 5 stands out to me. Here's why. Verse 5. He could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed them. To God, to Jesus, 
it's no great thing when someone has hands laid on them and is healed. It's not. You may say, wow, but that's, that's what I came here for this morning. Well, church member, family, child of God, it's not a great thing when someone has hands laid on them and is healed. According to the Bible, you look at me like I'm, like I'm crazy right now, but it says right there, it says he couldn't do any mighty works. So if we say there are no mighty works taking place, but he laid hands on people and healed them. That means that to lay hands on people and heal them is not a mighty work. How can I say that? You're, you're, that's so unreligious, Pastor Scott. How can, we're going to tell Pastor Michael and he's going to rip away your license. Well, go ahead. Maybe he will. And then I'll just sit in the sound booth and do my job back there. And I don't have to get up here and say things. But it says right here in my word, it wasn't considered a mighty work. How do I know that? Mark 16 says to the believer, go out into the world, preach the gospel. When you lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. For us as believers, that's our license. As soon as you get born again, you now have a license to help minister healing to people that need healing. That means it's not a mighty work. It's part of who we are as children of God. I'm going to do something amazing right now. Are you ready? It's going to be incredible. Are you ready for what's about to transpire? I mean, get your faith up, people, because this is huge, okay? Did you see that? What did I do? That was incredible, wasn't it? I breathed. I took a breath. You're looking at me like I'm nuts. Why? We were born breathing. We were born to breathe. None of us think any great and mighty thing of it when we take a breath of oxygen. As soon as you are born, if you don't do that, something's wrong with you. But in the body of Christ, if we're not laying, if we are laying hands on people, something's wrong with us. It's flipped. As soon as I'm born again, I receive that license. It ought to be as common to the believer to lay hands on the sick and they recover as it is to the natural person to breathe air. It ought to be that common for us. It ought to be that normal for us. But instead, we flipped it to where we're astonished when we lay hands on someone and they're actually healed. What if you were awed by the fact every time you took a breath? (sighs) I did it again. Wow. Did you see that? I did it again. You know, you go out for a run, you do a little bit more of it. Wow, I'm doing such a good job breathing. Good, you're existing. That's exactly what you're supposed to do. Listen, as children of God, it's not a mighty work to lay hands on the sick and they recover. That ought to be a normal occurrence for us. Amen? And we come here as believers, if I can say this, it keeps coming up in my heart. Too often, believers come to the church to have hands laid on them for something that they ought to be able to take care of themselves, right? We are taught these things. We are equipped with these things. We are given the word of God on a silver platter. Legally, freedom in the United States, we have to worship our God to hear these scriptures every Sunday so that we can take care of the devil when he comes for us ourselves. But if the church only recognizes it's just another form of missing our visitation, If we look at the church as the place for me to come and get what I need, instead of equipping me to go out and give other people what they need, I'm missing the visitation just as much as if I've shown up with no honor for God at all. He wants us to come here to be prepared, to be equipped, Ephesians 4 says, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Who does the work of the ministry? Who does the edifying of the body of Christ? We do. We get to do that. The church today is so handicapped. Pastor Michael shared a statistic. I don't remember if it was here, mentoring MTC, somewhere on an archive. I just listen to him all the time. But somewhere in there, he shared a statistic about how, many, how few people think right about the office of the pastor. They think that the office of the pastor is just there to help pick them up out of the stuff that they're going through so that they can get through another day. Brothers and sisters, that is not what the office of the pastor is for. The office of the pastor is to teach me how to pick myself up. How to pick myself up to get to the other side of these things. Having honor and recognizing why we're here for such a time as this. We're being equipped for the work of the ministry. You know, we have an army in the United States. We have armed forces. We just had Veterans Day. Thank you to all of those who have served, by the way. Uh, you know, we have, our, we have our armed forces in the United States. What if they spent all of this time in boot camp and then they get out on the field and they're standing there, their guns are at their side, and they're saying, hey, Major, what do I do now? But they're shooting at me. Ow! 
it really hurt that time. What do I do? Help me. Our army would be defunct. The entire nation would go to pot, right? It already is a little bit, and we have a good military. I mean, if you're they're in boot camp, they're in training, so that when the time comes to face those things, they're prepared to face them. Body of Christ, Church of God, our job is to be equipped here, to be trained in the church, so that when we go out and face the enemy, our job ought no, the church is always turning around, help me, help me, help me. No, help yourself, Christian, right? My goodness, be who God has created us to be. Praise the Lord. Recognizing that coming here, coming to the house of God, part of our visitation is so that we can recognize rightfully what the local church is for. That's why we have you know, multiple services with different focuses in each one. We have our Sunday morning service, which praise God, the word is taught. We help new believers find out who they are in Christ. Tuesday night services, we follow the word and the spirit of God so that we can see how he flows, how he moves. We get comfortable with how he moves corporately so that he can move in us privately. We come to Tuesday nights sometimes, and I've been guilty of it myself. Oh, I need help. I need to go to Tuesday night church this week. Listen, we ought to be having Tuesday night church at home, right? We ought to be saying, we ought to be learning the things that we're learning in the church so that when we can, we can pick ourselves up and come here and learn how to then minister those things to other people. Pastor Michael's been teaching lately on anxieties and cares, right? Worries and concerns, aren't you? You need that message, right? But why is he teaching that? Not so that we can call them Tuesday morning and say, help me, I have worries and anxieties and cares. We got our help. We got our help. It's so that we can help ourselves and also when my coworker is hurting, when, when my aunt is terrified of something, I can say, well, listen, did you know about this? You know, my pastor shared this in church. The Bible says this. We know how to be proficient in it. Too many times we say, well, I'm sorry you're going through something. Come to church with me. You'll get your help. Well, yeah, that's true. They will invite people to church. They'll get help here. But also, be willing to be open to the Holy Spirit that we can minister this help to other people. That's why we're equipped. That's why we're given these gifts to help others with them. Praise the Lord. Uh, Let's go ahead. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers 13. We're getting help this morning. Amen. Praise God. We can be right in the middle of what God is doing and still completely miss it. Right in the middle of what God is doing. Like I said before, I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss it. I don't want to read about it later. I don't want to get to heaven and see that it happened somewhere and I wasn't a part of it because I was too stuck in my religious rut or stuck in my habits. Or Listen, if he wants to shake things up, shake them up. I love, I love a little shake up in the body of Christ from time to time. And you know, I know... Um, Pastors shared this, of course, before too. You study historically through every move of God, the people that were at the pinnacle of the previous move of God almost always seem to miss the next move of God because they thought if God moved this way here, surely this is going to be how he continues to move. All through the body of Christ, that has not been the case. He's moved this way here, but then over here, what's an example of this? You know, in the 1800s, you had this great outpouring of new believers. We had revival. Of course, in this area, we had revival. The Second Great Awakening, Charles Finney, all of those stories that we've heard about. But when the Holy Ghost came in, now we've got all these new believers, and the Holy Ghost is now being rebirthed into the body of Christ to to help all of these new believers, to empower them. Well, suddenly, the people that thought God only moves this way, they stopped. They missed out on what God wanted to do next, and they judged them. They thought, I can have no part or lot in that matter because that's not the God that I know. Listen, if we familiarize ourselves with the Holy Spirit, if we recognize him and his voice, what did Jesus say? My sheep know my voice. When he starts moving, however, wherever, whatever he wants to move in the body of Christ, we'll be on board with it. Amen. We don't want to be afraid that we're going to miss it. Just seek him. Just Matthew 6, 33, we always equate it to financial and natural need, but it's not just that. So seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. What's in all these things? Everything we need. Spiritually, naturally, physically, everything we need if we'll put our sights on him. Amen. We seek him first. We won't miss it. The Lord. But we're going to look at some people who did miss it. The Israelites. 
I'm so grateful that my stuff's not written down in the Bible. <laughs> you know, if, you almost kind of feel bad for the Israelites sometimes because we always look at it and say, don't do what they did, don't do what they did. Well, I've got a whole lot of don't do what I did in my life. But thankfully, it's not written down anywhere in stone for all eternity for you to have your eyes on. So, but we're going to get some help from these folks here. So we know this, the Israelites, they went out of Egypt, they went through the wilderness for a while, and they came up to the promised land, the land that floweth with milk and honey, the land of Canaan that God had said would be theirs again one day. And they get up to the entrance of it, and God says to Moses, send out 12 spies from the 12 tribes of Israel to go spy out the land, see what it looks like, and bring back a report of it, and bring back the fruit of it so everybody can see that I was telling the truth the whole time. Because God knows people, and there's a whole lot of people that aren't going to believe until they see it, right? I can, I can tell you right now, there are people sitting in this room that are not going to believe that there's an end time move of God until it starts actually happening. There's, in the body of Christ, there's a whole lot of people that are going to be that case. You, you may say, well, that's not me. Okay, good. I'm glad. But there, are, there, there is somebody. I'm sure that there is. Why? Because it came up in my heart. And I believe that God knows what he's talking about. But in the body of Christ, there's a whole lot of people that when God starts moving, when our arms start growing out, they're going to be shocked. And we're going to be sitting, we saw the preview, man. We knew that this movie was coming to theaters. I'm not surprised by this. I knew it was, it was going to happen. Let me show you what it's all about. Right? And then you bring them into it. And so here, God is saying, he sends the 12 spies. In verse 25, Numbers 13, 25, And they, the 12 spies, returned from searching the land after 40 days. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought word back unto them unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And, when, and they told him, saying, We came unto the land where you sent us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey. Oh, look at that. God told the truth. <laughs> Imagine that. Don't you, you need 12 spies to go out and report that God's not a liar. <laughs> well, praise the Lord. And this is the fruit of it. But here we see, if they, sometimes you wish you could just blot out the rest of it because they did so good up to that point, right? They got it so good for one scripture. They said, God was right. Great, stop, shut your mouth. Don't go any further. <laughs> but instead, they kept talking. How many know sometimes some of us keep talking when we shouldn't be talking? And they had in verse 28, that word there, nevertheless. God, we know you told the truth about the land being there. We know you told the truth about the big fruit, about the, the miracles. We know you told the truth about the stuff that would be happening, about the, the lost coming in, that the end time transfer of wealth, all these things. We know you told the truth about it. But nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. But my coworkers think I'm crazy because I go to a church of miracles. God, I know you said that these things were going to happen, but my aunt doesn't like that I'm not a part of the family religion anymore. They had their butts, just like people that, since humanity be born, people have butts, right? <laughs> since Adam, somebody had a butt somewhere. And here's theirs. Nevertheless, God, we know you told the truth, but all of these hard things. You go down verse 29 and then verse 30. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses, said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. When things start looking like they're going to hinder what God wants to do, we are well able. Why? Because we have a promise from God that these things are coming to pass. Amen. We have a promise from God that when my man of God steps into the pulpit, he is anointed of heaven to deliver a message for me that's going to change my life every time. Every time. And the thoughts will come, but, but, so-and-so in the church, but, I didn't like the way he said that, but the church took up another offering. Those are just walls in the, in the city, folks. We were promised something. Amen. And if we'll stand there and believe that it belongs to us, just like Caleb did, we are well able to receive these things. But the men that went up with him, so here's Caleb, the voice of faith in the midst of the, the unbelief. He says, we are well able. But the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people for they're stronger than we are. And then they just, you know, when you let that first thought in, it's like the dam bursts. If you allow that one word, that one utterance of disbelief, that one utterance of dishonor, that one utterance of whatever it might be, you know, I refuse to have an opinion about anything that happens in the pulpit when I'm sitting down there. I don't care what's said. I don't care what's done. Because I know that he's following the Holy Ghost. 
right? As soon as I allow, and I've experienced this in my life, I'm not going to say I'm perfect because I'm human just like the rest of us, but I've noticed in my own life, as soon as I allow one thought, as soon as I allow one but to sneak its way in there, it's like the floodgates of hell have opened up against my thought life. And maybe you've never had to deal with that before. But I know in any ministry, I'm not just talking about our pastors, but any ministry that I've sat under, as soon as I've allowed that one utterance out of my mouth about something I didn't agree with, something I didn't like how it was done, I didn't like how I was treated, I didn't like the seat that I got sat in, whatever it might be, as soon as I allowed that one thing out of my mouth, it was like the dam of thoughts burst from the enemy and all of those thoughts started coming in. That's what happened here. They allowed the one utterance of disbelief to come in, the one utterance of dishonor, And what happened? Well, they kept going, and they brought up an evil report of the land, verse 32, which they had searched under the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search, it is a land that eats up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw there are men of a great stature. And there we saw the giants, my ancestors, the sons of Anak, that was a joke, and (laughs) which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, And listen to this. And so we were in their sight. How do they know what the giants thought about them? Did they have a conversation with the giants? They go up to them and say, hey, Mr. Giant, I'm just an Israelite. What do you think of me? Well, I think you're a grasshopper. Okay, that's what I thought. And running the other way. Where'd that thought come from? It came from the enemy. They had no idea if the giants even noticed them at all, first of all. Second, they had no idea what the giants actually thought about them. But the thoughts came because they allowed the door to dishonor for what God wanted to bring them into. And as soon as they opened that door, the floodgates of hell opened up against their thought life. We have to guard ourselves against honoring. When we honor our visitation, when we honor what God is doing in our midst, that means all forms of that honor. You know, it goes against the American theology that I get to have an opinion, I get to have it my way. Folks, the body of Christ is not Burger King. You don't get it your way. You also don't get the digestive effects of Burger King on the other side of it either. We only get blessed and helped in the house of God. Praise the Lord. But if we don't have honor for what God wants to do, and if we allow these thoughts of dishonor, and that's what it is, disbelief, dishonor, they're all the same thing. It's not putting value. It's not believing that what God has for me is what he has for me. Amen. The Israelites forgot that this was the promise that God had for them. Because of that, you read on through the book of Numbers. We're not going to, but you read on through it. They didn't walk into what God had for them. And that, I think, is the most sobering about this message. I have a, there's a lot more scriptures here, but uh, that's the most sobering thing for us is that if we don't recognize our visitation, we're not just going to scotch in by handicap, right? We're not just going to necessarily get dragged along on some of these things, there are folks that will miss out on what God wants to do. There are in the body of Christ. You know, yes, this is Old Testament, but we could go through the New Testament. There are folks that will miss out on what God wants to do because they don't recognize their visitation. They don't recognize the place of the local church in their life, the place of the pastors in their life. They don't recognize what God wants to do in the last days. They just think, oh my goodness, my pastor's teaching another message on prayer. What's the reason for it? That's our visitation. God gave our pastors a message to bring prayer, to bring light on prayer into the body of Christ. The reason for that is so that in these end times, we can be where he wants us to be. Remember the story of the rich young ruler in Matthew 19? We're not going to turn there. Maybe you could put that on the screen. Do you have that, Matthew 19, 16? The rich young ruler. This was a man that followed God all of his days. There we go. Behold, one came and said to him, Jesus, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said to him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if you'll enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which? And Jesus said, You'll do no murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not lie. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these things have I kept from my youth up. What do I lack? And Jesus said, if you'll be perfect, that means if you've done everything right you're supposed to do, go and sell what you have, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that, he went away sorrowful, 
for he had great possessions. This young man had gone to such and such a distance with God. He had experienced a move of God. What did he experience? He experienced the promise of the Israelite covenant. He kept every commandment of it, and because of that, he was blessed. He had great possessions, right? He experienced how God was moving in him, in his time, in his covenant with his God. He experienced all of that, but when God came along and wanted to move in a different way, he wasn't willing to go that step. He wasn't willing to move the next way that God wanted to move. It says he went away sorrowful. There's a lot of Christians out there that are going to go away sorrowful in the last day move of God. Because they don't, you know, with this man, it was, of course, you know, his finances in this case. But Jesus just knew that that was because it had become, uh, you know, more important than God to him. It's not necessarily finances with everybody. It's whatever. Jesus doesn't want anything more important than us, more important than him in our lives, right? But in this case, he was unwilling to do whatever it took to take that next step with God, to be a part of that next visitation. And because of that, he missed out. I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss out. Don't want to miss out. And we know this. We'll close with this verse here. Go to, um, go to Mark chapter 5 with me. Mark 5. This is sobering, but it's important for us. Amen. We want to be where he is. Recognize what he's doing, what he's saying, so that we can be a part of it. This is all, it comes down to, it's faith. It's faith for what God is doing. It says in Mark 6 that it was unbelief that kept them from receiving mighty things of God. Unbelief is just a lack of faith. And we know that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So we're, we're preaching the word this morning. But we also see in the life of Jesus, in the book of Acts, I have more examples here, but we're just going to read this one, where, where there's unbelief when God wants to do something, he'll remove the unbelief. He'll take it out. He'll get rid of it. And we see that in Scripture. Jesus had to do it. Mark 5, verse 22. Behold, there came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. We'll pick up in verse 35. While he yet spake, there came the ruler from the synagogue's house, which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why do you trouble the master any further? And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And so we see here, the daughter has died, and there, Jesus is going to perform a miracle. It didn't change what that man's original faith request was. When you make a faith request to God, it doesn't matter what the circumstances after that request start to look like. God is still going to show up. It might get worse before it starts to get better. But if we made that request in faith, God is still on his way. He's still faithful to perform his word. I've been in those situations where it looks like it's just getting darker and darker and darker and darker and darker. But God said. But God said. Right? If Jairus, Jairus had to remember here, had to be reminded of that, be not afraid, only believe. Jesus said, I will come and heal thy daughter. And so that means he's going to do it. And so... Uh, verse 37, he suffered no man to follow him, same Peter and James and John, the brother of James. So here's Jesus. Now remember, this is right after the woman with the issue of blood got healed. There were a midst of people there. People were thronging Jesus. Hundreds and hundreds of people coming after him. Remember, because the woman with the issue of blood, she had to press through that to get to him. And when she got to him, that crowd was still there. She starts testifying. Well, suddenly this message comes along. And he says, listen, we're going to cut this crowd, cut this meeting short, and I want my three men of faith with me. And he went off. He didn't take the 12 disciples. He took three. He took three that knew, that believed that he was the Son of God. You study out the other Gospels. These were the three. They called them the Sons of Thunder. They were the, they were the disciples that believed that Jesus was the visitation that heaven had, and they would lay down their lives for it at a moment's notice. They had complete and utter trust, and and Jesus knew that. So he said, listen, you other nine, I love you, but I'm taking these three with me. We want to be a part of that three, right? I want to be in the three. 
But if you notice, the three is the minority. It takes a price to be in the three. Those three had to pay a price. That was that price to be willingness to lay down their lives for him, to be around him at any moment, to put his things above their own things, to be where he was whenever he was there. That was the three. And so he takes those. He comes to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and sees the tumult and them that wept and wailed greatly. When he was come in, he said, why do you make this ado and weep? The damsel is not, is not dead, but sleeps. And they laughed him to scorn. What's that laughter? It's a demonstration of their unbelief. So what did he do with unbelief? In order for the miracle to take place, he put them all out. He said to the father and the mother of the damsel, and them that were with him, and entereth in where the damsel was lying. He took her by the hand and said, Talitha Kumai, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of age of 12 years. And they were astonished with great astonishment. So when Jesus got there and this miracle needed to be performed, of course, we see what happens in Mark 6, but where there's unbelief, where there's not reverence or honor for what God is doing, where there's not uh, um, respect or, or for the visitation that's before them, the miracle cannot take place. But Jesus has extended his word in that moment and said, the daughter shall be raised. And so what did he have to do for that to come to pass? He had to remove the unbelief from the situation. He took with him the three most faithful disciples and he kicked out everybody in that place that was wailing and screaming and doubtful and laughed at him when he said, this is what God's going to do. There's people that are laughing at what God's going to do in the last days. They're not going to be a part of it. They won't, scripturally, they can't be. They can't be. God is merciful. And if, we'll, you know, I believe that if somebody's in that situation, of course, if they, they start to see it and they recognize, say, oh, Lord, I missed it. I missed it. I'm sorry. I want to I wanna be a part of that. Of course, he's, we're in the age of grace. Thank God for it. We'll be a part of it. But how I many know we don't want to be the second batch, right? We want to be in that first group. We recognize our visitation, why we're here for such a time as this, and we'll see these things. We'll take part in them. Amen? Praise God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for helping us this morning. Father, we want, we're, we're, we want you to know that we want to learn how to better honor our visitation. Father, we want to recognize what you're doing in our midst. And Father, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, we won't be like that rich young ruler who has a line that we won't cross for you. Father, whatever the line is for each and every one of us, whatever you ask of us, Father, that's our heart's desire is to go to that next level with you. We want to be a place where the miraculous takes place, Father. We want to see these things in our lives, Lord. And Father, we want you to know this morning that there are hearts crying out to you who are willing to do whatever it takes to see that come to pass, Father. We have honor and reverence for you and for what you're doing in our midst, and we thank you for it. With heads bowed, with eyes closed this morning, I want to give an invitation in this place and also those on live stream. Uh, we talked a lot about the last day's move of God. We talked about how, you know, there's a lot of prophecies about how in the end times, God is going to move a certain way in his body. That there's going to be miracles, signs, and wonders poured out, the book of Acts says, and that we get to be here and be a part of that. But the reason for all those miracles, signs, and wonders is to bring the lost into the body of Christ. Who are the lost? The lost are those that don't know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for them so that they could be saved. The Bible teaches clearly that when we pass from this life, and we will, there's one of two places we'll go. Whether we go to heaven for all eternity or we'll go to hell for all eternity. Hell is a real place of eternal damnation separated from God. And it's not his will that any should perish and go there, but that all should have everlasting life. So if you're in this place or you're watching on live stream, and you need to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. What you're doing is guaranteeing your ticket to heaven for all eternity. You're saying, I identify, I believe in my heart, like the book of Romans says, that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for me, he rose on the cross so that I could be saved. And if that's you this morning, and you want to make that decision, you want to guarantee your ticket to heaven for all eternity, I'm going to invite you to raise your hand, whether you're here, whether you're on live stream, wherever you might be. I believe we're all family today, but just in case. If there's any out there that have stepped away from the Lord, the Bible teaches us about the prodigal son, a young man who thought that he had everything when he was in his father's house, but he left it, went out on his own, and when he did, he realized very quickly that he was better off in father's house. And if you're out there and you've stepped away from the Lord, he's calling you back home this morning. He wants you with him. His arms are wide open, ready to welcome you back. 
So if that's you, you need to rededicate your life. Whether you're here on live stream, I invite you to raise your hand this morning. Praise God. I don't see any hands here. I'm grateful for that. But if you did raise your hand on live stream, of course, you know I can't see it, but God can. And that's an act of faith that you just took there. And I want to encourage you, if you made that decision, either to give your life to Jesus or to rededicate, to come back home to him, all it takes is a simple prayer. The book of Romans says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Son of God, you shall be saved. So just do that at home. Pray that prayer. Make that decision in your heart. And then let us know that you did so that we can help you get started on your new walk with the Lord or your rededicated walk with him. Praise God. Praise God. You can lift your heads. Open your eyes. He's so good, isn't he? I'm so grateful to be a part of what he's doing in these last days. I'm thankful for uh, his spirit that helps us, our, our comforter. And I'm thankful for his word that strengthens us, that teaches us how to walk in this life victoriously. Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, we'll go in. We'll have a third worship song now. So go ahead. Stand to your feet. Join us this time of worship. Hallelujah. You're so good, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. We worship you. i 
to worship you. Praise God. Well, thank you everyone for coming out for the Word of God today. Pastor Michael, don't forget, he'll be back. Tuesday night is our last Word and Spirit service. You want to talk about receiving our visitation? I'll tell you, that's where you want to be to receive it. Amen. It's been times of heaven on earth. So Tuesday night at 6.30 and then next Sunday at 10, we'll be back here for the Word of God. You are loved. You are dismissed.